Amen? Yes. You know, we, we're, we're in a place of, of focus on the family, focusing on what God wants to say to the family. I think it's extremely important that we do that for a couple of, obviously, many different reasons. But one of those reasons is that the view that we have towards the family, our own personal family, and the way that that family functions is what will be transposed onto the way in which our church family looks to function. And one of the things that I really truly believe with all of my heart is that the church has taken a look at family from a wrong perspective because we've taken a wrong perspective in so many of our homes. Look, the discipleship and the spiritual condition of this next generation was never intended to be the church's responsibility. It was intended to be the home's responsibility. God wants the home to be the place where our kids are, you know, our kids should be being led to Jesus in our home. Okay, the church is here not to take that responsibility. The church is here to help encourage you in the responsibility that God has given you. And that's one of the things that we've done is we've walked away from that and left it in the hands of the church. We've left it in the hands of the professionals and it's not working. We're seeing a mass exodus from the church. We're seeing young people that are leaving the church, leaving the way of God, leaving for all sorts of other things. And we have, you know, again, and so God has, that's not what God wants. That's not God's desire. That's not how God designed this whole thing to work. And we have to look at this and then begin to say, well, okay, so what's going on? What, what is happening? And Part of the, the issue, and I think what we have to look at, and some of you aren't going to like this, we have to look inside our home. We have to look inside ourselves. We have to look inside of what is happening inside of our household, inside of the place in which we live. And that doesn't mean, you know, just if you're a nuclear family with a you know, husband, wife, and three kids. That's whatever condition your home is in. God wants you to be in charge of the spiritual condition of that home. Amen. And so we are having a, a family focus at this time. And I don't want anybody to be discouraged because of the state of your household. You, you know, we, we look inside of our house, but we also have to look and see how does this transpose into the family of the church. And we are just that, a family. And so one of the things that we're doing, when all of you got, uh, came in, you were given one of these. This is what we are doing on Wednesday night, this coming week. It is called Lead the Way Wednesday. Lead the Way Wednesday is a time we are shutting everything down at the church, and what we're going to do is we're going to put the responsibility of ministry to your children, to your family, to whatever the situation is in your home, the ministry is now in your hands. You are responsible. You are the one that we're asking to take responsibility for leading your home, leading in devotion, leading in prayer, leading in a time of worship. Because church, that is where, that's where the intention, that's what God intended from the beginning. And so we're going to, again, inside of here, this is geared towards, obviously, geared towards our 
children's ministry. There's a, a letter from Pastor Chris in there, and you'll get the heart of what it is that we're doing through that letter and what's going on. There is a devotion in there that you will find. It's on paper here. If you look at the church app, you will find this logo on the church app. If you just click it, it will take you right to the devotion that's there. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to be able to minister in your home. You don't have to have been a Christian for years and years. You don't have to have a, a you know, theology of, of any or a Bible doctrine of any kind. I mean, you just need to love the Lord Amen. and want to see your children love the Lord. Want to see who's in your home love the Lord. Whether Again, whether it's a, a, you know, an elderly couple or a young single person, you can do a time to get, just of devoting yourself to seeking the Lord. And you can use this or don't. I don't care. Just do a devotion. I, again, I like this, especially with your children, because this is going to help you keep it short. This is going to help you keep it in a place, in a context that your children can receive something. But I also want to say this. Don't get discouraged and don't, well, see, it didn't work for our family. I knew it wouldn't work for us. You know what? This Wednesday night, it's probably not going to work for you. It's not like they're going to all just sit there and just, oh, we're so glad you're finally doing this, mom and dad. It's not like all of a sudden your two-year-old's going to sit still. No, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be hectic. It's going to be, it's going to be probably be a hot mess. But praise God that he comes into the middle of a hot mess, that God comes into the middle of something that's broken, something that's not working, and brings something great and wonderful out of it. Church, it's not about what's in here. It's about what's in here. It's about what's happening in your home. It's about something so much bigger than just this. Your kids may never remember this, but they will remember that, man, every Wednesday night, every, every, mom and dad sat us down and we just had a devotion because it's part of our, the rhythm of our life. And that's what we need to begin to do is create a rhythm in our home that presents godliness to our children, to the young people. And I, again, I don't care whether, you know, I mean, Joan and I, we have, our kids are 18 and 20. So this whole thing, you know, has a different aspect towards me. But that doesn't change the fact that God's called us to have a spiritual input into our home. And I'm going to sit down with my wife and we're going to do a devotion on Wednesday night. And you can find this devotion on the church app. You can find it on the website. You can find it, uh, we, we started a, a brand new a Facebook group so that you can go onto Facebook. You can find the devotion on there. But I also want to do this. I want you to go on there. I want you to like, to join the group and then share a picture of yourselves at the family table, sharing a devotion. Singing a praise song. Just because, again, you don't know what kind of encouragement that might be to some other people that are watching. And we can begin to encourage one another in this and begin to, you know what, ours didn't work well at all. We, you know what, we did not go good. But you know what, I refused to get mad at my kids and we just had a good time and we really just enjoyed it, sitting at home doing something special like that. And I encourage you, if you've got kids, buy a special treat that they like. Make it fun. If you've got older kids, Buy a special treat that they like. 
But church, lead the way. Lead the way. And we're going to do, as a church, we're going to do what God's called us to do. We're going to help you and support you in the call of the ministry that's on your life. So we're going to do everything we can to, to help you, and I hope you'll be a part of that. Okay, another thing that we're doing to try to encourage families is one of the most difficult things that you will ever do is try to operate, to live, and to uh, thrive in a blended family. And all the blended families, <laughs> notice all the blended families were quiet. <clears throat> it is difficult. It is hard. It is the most difficult thing you may ever in this lifetime try to do. And we want to help you with that. God has a way. God has a way for you. And we're, we're going to, again, have a... Um, uh, Again, it's blend, blessed, blended and blessed family uh, ministry this coming Saturday. And if you're in a blended family, we would love to help you with that. There's no charge. It's this Saturday. It's from Saturday from two, uh, till 2.30 in the afternoon. You can get all the information on the website, but please take a look at that. But there's also some very good books that we have been going through and that will give you some direction. And you can take pictures of these that are up there. I would suggest you read these. I don't care what state, what condition. You're, listen, I'm looking at all this stuff and I know I screwed up a lot of things with my kids. But I have grandkids and I don't have to make the same mistakes. And I'm committed, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not. And so we've been going through, go ahead and show those first two books. Uh, again, I've got copies of them. If you need one or don't have one or don't have a way to get one, I will absolutely love to put a book in your hand that will help you with your kids. But family worship, how do we bring worship back into our homes? How do we begin to create an atmosphere of worship in our home? There's also then Family Discipleship, an amazing book by, by Matt Chandler that, um, again, bringing discipleship back into our family where God intended for it to be. And being able to do that through what I talked about in our last family night, which were the, the, the moments and milestones, and how to take the things, the ordinary things that are already happening in our life, and use them to bring discipleship into our home. Again, no matter what condition or state our home is. So those are a couple of wonderful books that will help. A couple of these here that are recent. This one is called Take Back Your Family. It is, again, an incredible book that will help you take the simple things, not to add a ton of stuff to your plate, but to take the simple things that you're already doing and begin to use those things as ways to minister to your home. There is a place, church, and again, I think the title of the book is absolutely appropriate. We are losing families to the way of the world, to the gods of this world. We are losing families hand over fist, and it's coming quicker and quicker and quicker, and we are seeing a decline like never before, and we have to rise up. It's time that some men and women, some people stand up and say, enough is enough. I'm taking back my family. I refuse to let the, the, the generation that's just trying to declare over my kids who they are and what they should be, and I'm going to be the influence in their life. I'm going to be the one who speaks into their heart. I'm going to be the one who prophesies over them. I'm going to be the one who speaks into them. And again, it will help you to do that. And then, again, a lot of people in our lives, we have sometimes just no idea why we do what we do. We should know why we do what we do. Most of us live our lives by the habits that we have. I, I noticed like when I was gone, I, I have a lot of habits in the morning. When I first get up in the morning, I have habits, uh, uh, you know, going to my phone, checking my emails, doing this stuff. Well, there was a lot of that stuff I couldn't do while I was gone. And I realized that, you know, it was like, I was out of habit. And 
I had to realize that I have to recenter myself. So one of the things, again, that God's really spoke to my heart about was getting up in the morning and before I do any of those things, get, spending some time on my knees saying, God, I mean, I roll out of bed and roll to my knees and say, God, help me today to be a man who's centered in you, centered in your love, centered in your grace, centered in what you've called me to be. Help me to be a man who will love my family with your love, not mine. Help me, Lord God, to do that. As simple as that. And, and I, I cannot tell you what a difference that's made in just a week's time. I, I honestly, I feel like a different person. And reading my word before I read my emails. Because my habits need to be putting the Lord first. And again, knowing why we do the things that we do, creating habits. Most of us in our homes, you know, our homes, we have a habit of just letting it go into chaos. And chaos isn't of God. God's a God of order. Doesn't mean that everything's just going to flow smoothly and everything's just going to go wonderfully. It doesn't. There's going to be chaos in there. But don't add chaos to chaos. Listen, it's enough just, you know what, add, and when, when chaos is added to your order. But we should have an order knowing why we do what we do. And that will help you to be able to do that. It's about practicing the story of God. So again, those are just some things that I wanted to share with you because I want to help you in any way we can to be able to walk through this life. And if you really are wanting the, you know, again, a lot of people don't want, a lot of people don't want answers. All they want is results. Again, God's not a genie. And for many of you, and again, do I agree with everything in every one of those books? No. But it's not about that. It's about being directional in where I want to go with my family, with my family's family, and my family's family's family. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy. And again, you know what? This church, at some point, there will be a new pastor in this church and somebody else and down the road. You know what? Nobody's going to remember who Pastor Mark was. But my family, my family is going to for generations if I make it a purpose to do that. And so will yours. Amen. And we need to look at that. So I want you to open up your Bible. I, I was going to, again, let me just say, while I was gone, I, I man, I, I did a lot of studying as into the book of Revelation and into these letters. And next week, I will continue with that. But, uh, and I'll share all the things I've been learning about the church at Samarina. Um, I can't wait to share that with you, but God laid this on my heart just right before Joni and I were getting ready to come home, and I started to read through these scriptures because this is the, the, the foundational scripture for Lead the Way Wednesday is Joshua chapter 24. And if you've got, listen, if you have your, your, uh, your phone or you want to follow along, you can open up your church app. And you click on the Lead the Way Wednesday, and it will open that up. And uh, again, you'll be able to, um, I'm sorry, find all of the things you need for that. Also then inside the app, if you're down here on the bottom, you click on the media part. That will take you to a list that's there. There's sermon notes right there. And right there, you can find the date and open up the sermon notes, and you can follow along. And you'll have all the notes for when you're at Life Group later on. You can share those thoughts as you fill in the blanks. So you can find them right there. Or again, open up your Bible. So while you're going there, let me read this. What Chuck Swindoll said this. 
He said, whatever else may be, uh, uh, or excuse me, whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due, the single most influential force in our earthly existence. I find that to be extremely true. Because today we have devalued the family to the point where, honestly, for many, we can't find the value of family. For many, you know, again, our families have been such a place of pain and such a place of angst that we don't want anything to do with that whole thought of family. What's happened is, you know, we've destroyed, first the devil destroyed that, the name of father, and now he's trying to destroy the name of family. And he's working hard at that. And I don't think we realize, church, I don't think we realize how much our kids are being influenced by the world around them and how much they're being imparted to. I mean, I get parents with junior high kids saying, oh, no, they've never watched porn. Don't fool yourself. What your kids are being in, uh, you know, filled with is just absolutely radical, and it has changed, and, and it's detrimental to the family. It's detrimental to a life. And, and again, we tend to downplay that because we just don't. Honestly, I think the reason we do downplay that so much is because we don't know what to do about it. And our kids are being overwhelmed. And I, I went and I, I did a, a, a search to see the things over the decades at how things have changed. I want to just share this with you. I think, I think it's kind of funny, but it's also very revealing. Kids in the 30s, they were exposed to the depression. And they grew up when times were hard. They grew up when everybody had to work. And that was a day in the 30s when a dollar meant a lot. Kids in the 40s grew up with World War II. Frank Sinatra. That was the big band era. And that was also the introduction in the 40s of the silver screen. The moving motion picture began in the 40s. In the 50s, we grew up with black and white TVs. Now, some of you may remember that. Sitting around the black and white TV watching I Love Lucy. Hula hoops were, were, were uh, the popular thing in that day. And Elvis Presley was at the top of the charts. And the first illustration of Playboy came out. Kids in the 60s grew up with the Beatles. LSD. Communes and flower power, Vietnam, violence in the streets. Kids in the 60s, I mean, they grew up with bell bottoms. <laughs> but they also experienced the fanny pack, <laughs> eight track tapes. How many remember an eight track tape player? <laughs> I don't. Kids in the 70s, we grew up with Charlie's Angels and Disco and Happy Days and MASH and Saturday Night Live, smoking weed and listening to the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> they saw abortion legalized. Kids in the 80s grew up with crack cocaine and AIDS, MTV, Michael Jackson, Ferris Bueller, The Walkman, and Nintendo was born. 
Kids in the 90s grew up with The Simpsons, Friends, Seinfeld, Michael Jordan, Monica Lewinsky, (laughs) rap music, Nirvana, crystal meth, and this thing called the internet. Kids in the 2000s grew up with 9-11, the war on terror, American Idol, Harry Potter, South Park, Hannah Montana. How many of you remember MySpace? Xbox and internet pornography. And today, kids grow up with Lady Gaga and Drake. They were just at the top of the chart. I do not know what they sing, but (laughs) probably many of you do. Kids today grow up with iPhones, social media, YouTube. Instagram, Snapchat, sexting, gay marriage, transgenderism. Our kids see more than you think they see. And our kids know more than you think they know. And our kids experience more than you think that they would experience. And our kids are forced, they're forced into growing up faster than what they should. And because of that, They are stunted in their growth. It's amazing. Pushing them to grow up faster than ever, yet stunting their growth as we do it. You know, I looked at, you know, it used to be when I was in school, we had to take um, uh, just basically sex education class in in one of our classes. And I, I remember being so embarrassed I cannot believe they talk about this stuff. I mean, I, I, I learned names to things I never knew that I... It was like, you know, and so when I went home, mom said, what'd you learn in school today? I just turned beet red, you know, it was like, I, didn't, I couldn't even bring myself to say it. And I, and I wasn't even a really good kid. But today, sex talk is nothing for kids because they see it, they experience, they're exposed to it every single day. And church, that is the reality that we are living in today. We cannot hide our head in the sand and think that that this isn't real. It is real. This is what we have to contend with. And and I I love what, what, what Dr. James Dobson said. It really does strike home. He said this, We must make the salvation of our children our number one priority. Nothing else is more important. And he is absolutely right. And we can't leave that to the church. It's got to be our call. And Joshua, he understood this. Joshua, he understood the power of the parent. He understood what it was. He's coming to the end of his life. You'll see in Joshua chapter 24, at the end he actually dies. And as this old man coming towards the end of the li- his life, he comes and brings this very bold declaration of a call to renewal. And he's calling the people to come back to the Lord. You know, today we, we live in this place of progressivism. Church, There's no such thing as progressive Christianity. 
Okay, again, progressive Christianity is just expediting a place to, uh, of the end. We're, we're just getting to the end quicker. And what is the end? We die. But what is the Bible always talking about? The Bible is always calling us to come back. Come home. The prodigal, come home. God's saying, come back to the cross. Come back to my word. Come back. God wants a I think God wants digressive Christianity to where we would digress back to the word of God because nothing else works. Nothing else has power. Nothing else has authority. God, I got to come back to your word. I got to stand upon your word. And he's bringing this call to the people of Israel. He calls, first off, remember, he's calling the people of Israel and he calls them to this place of renewal. And the first thing he does in Joshua chapter 24 in verses 1 through 13 is he calls them by bringing the blessings of God to remembrance. He reminds them of all the blessings of God. And then in verses 14 through uh, 27, he calls the people to be faithful to God. And this is renewal. This is this place of renewal for that we begin with God coming and we are reminded of his, the history that God has provided for us and the, the call to be faithful to him. And in the middle of that, right smack dab in the middle, is one of the most powerful, most popular, most memorized scriptures in all the Bible. Right in the middle of it, in verse 15, he says, But as for me and my house, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in those verses, and in the verses that are coming up to that, as I'm reading through this, I see there's five decisions that we need to make. And yes, following God requires decisions and choices that are made each and every day. It's not a magical happenstance. It's not like a lucky charm. It's a choice and a decision that we make. And if we don't make these decisions, we will keep rolling the way in which we are. Now, I'm not meaning any of this in a way of condemnation. Where we are is where we are. Listen, you cannot get where you want to be if you don't know where you are. And whatever situation or circumstance you're in, whether you are in a nuclear family or whether you're in a, a family that's been broken by divorce or a place where there's hurt, a place where there's a, a division or divisiveness or a place where you're single, maybe you're not married or maybe you know, you're a grandparent. Listen, God wants you to start right where you are. This is not about condemnation. This is about going forth in the conviction of God to begin to declare what I did not declare before. I made, and I'll be the first one to tell you, a ton of mistakes with my children. A lot of mistakes. But I refuse to let the fact that I made mistakes with my kids stop me from starting over and beginning to rectify those mistakes in me and my house. Amen. And you can't do that either. We have to go forward. And there's five decisions. If you want your family to come with you, I believe there's five decisions that we need to make in our lives out of these scriptures here. And the first decision is that we have got to decide to build a grace-based family or to have a grace-based home. As Joshua recounts the story, he talks about all the conquests. I mean, the people have been taken and they've been brought out of Israel and brought into the promised land. And he reminds them of how God did what the Lord and only the Lord could do. Listen to what he says in verse 11. And you went 
talking about the people of Israel. He said, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. I mean, they were, they were completely outnumbered. They were completely outmanned, outweaponed. They, they were an army that was, had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And here they've got all these people, all of these nations coming against them, these warrior nations coming against them, and God says, and I gave them, each and every one of them, I gave them into your hand. Verse 12, he says, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. And verse 13 says, I gave you the land on which you had not labored and cities you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. Joshua wants the people to remember what he had done, that he was the one who, who supplied each and every one of those, and he's saying, don't forget, it was the Lord who did that. And church, if you've got good things in your life, if you've got blessings in your life, don't forget, it was the Lord who provided those things for you. It was God who did those good things in your life. It was God who supplied and met your needs. It was God who fought the victories that you did not know you were even fighting. It was God who brought those victories in your life. And don't you forget, the Israelites, they had won battle after battle. Can you imagine these people? They're wandering in the promised land. They come across miraculously the Jordan River into this promised land where everything's just so much bigger than them. And they come in and army after army after army, they just begin to overwhelm those armies and drive them out. They don't even know how. Sometimes they drive them off the battlefield without even raising a sword. And you know what they started to do? They started to do the same thing, church, that we do. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> we got it going on. Wow, man. I'm pretty amazing. And the people started to think that way. There was a couple times they stepped out. Eh, we don't really, listen, to, nobody's ever done this, right? We don't really need to ask God about that. It's natural to think, hey, we're something special. We're pretty awesome. And the truth is, church, we really aren't. We just serve a really awesome God. Amen. We're not awesome. God, God makes us awesome. It's he who does those things. But that thought is deadly. And Joshua knew the same thing would happen to them that happens to us. Joshua knew that once the people took credit for their victories, they would soon turn away from the Lord altogether. God knows that in us, once we start taking credit for the victories in our life, we will soon turn away from our need for the Lord altogether. He brings us victory. And we need to do with our families what Joshua did with the people of Israel. And, he, and it's a good thing to review past blessings. It's a good thing. You, you, you should know those blessings. You should know them because you've rehearsed them over and over and over again. And then write those blessings down. Write down what God has done. Share them with your family. Know what they are. Hey, remember last year when you were really sick? Talk to your little daughter. Speak to her. You remember when you were really sick and we were all so worried about you, but we prayed for God's healing and you got better. 
Remember last year when daddy lost his job and we weren't sure what was going to happen? We were all so afraid and we prayed and we asked, God, would you please supply a job for daddy? And daddy got a job. Daddy got a better job. Remember when daddy, when we did that, when God did that for us? Remember when we didn't know where we were going to move? We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't know where our home would be. And we prayed and we asked God to bring us a home. We prayed that God would supply that place for us. And he did. And this is the house that we're living in. God supplied this house for us. Remember last year when we were praying for Uncle Bill and Aunt Sue and we were praying that they would come to Jesus and six months later, remember they came to Jesus, they gave Jesus their heart. Remember what the Lord has done and rehearse those things and talk to your family about those things and share those things because listen church, a good memory of God's blessings is the greatest defense we have against backsliding. We need to tell our kids so that they know. Listen, has God blessed you? Well, you look, again, you can look back over your life and say, well, I don't know. But sometimes, you know what? We tend to look back over our life and look at all the things and the places that, honestly, we didn't do what God said to do. And we got ourselves into trouble of one kind or another. Or bad things just happened. And we look back and that's all we remember. But if you'll look back and begin to look, you'll see that between all of those things, God was taking each one and using them for his glory. He was using them to lead you where you are. He was using those things to draw you to himself. He and the midst of that, in the midst of those steps, if you look and see his steps in the midst of it all, that he was carrying you along. He was blessing you all along. If you look into those places, you will see. And I'm telling you, write it down. Think about it. Dwell on those things. Tell your children. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Tell anybody that will listen about how good God has been to you. Pass it along to the succeeding generations so that they know your story after you've already gone to heaven. I want my grandkids and my great-grandkids to talk about the faithfulness of God in their papa's life. Decision number two is we need to teach our families to worship God. He says here in verse 14, he says, now, therefore, fear the Lord. When you think of fear of the Lord, what do you think of? Do you think of being scared of him? That's what oftentimes today we, we get this place where, you know, the fear of the Lord is we, we think we should be terrified of him, you know, cringe in terror of him. And the biblical concept of the fear of the Lord is so much bigger and it is so much more, uh, again, it's an amazing concept, the fear of the Lord. The, the fear of the biblical concept of fearing the Lord means having such a deep respect for God that we want to please him in all we do. Church, Do you have such a deep respect for the Lord that you want to please him in all that you do? One commentary I was reading said this. It refers to the inner devotion that causes us to honor God. Well, how do we share that with our family? How do we share that with the people that are around us? And and I will tell you this. It has way more to do with atmosphere than it does a program. It has way more to do with the heart behind why we do this than actually what we do. It has way more to do with how we conduct our lives. See, church, when parents fear the Lord, when parents truly fear the Lord, when a parent has such a deep respect for God that they want to please Him in all that they do, when a parent 
has an inner devotion that causes them to honor God in all that they do, their children will learn to fear the Lord. And if they don't truly fear the Lord, neither will their children. Listen, we do what our parents did. It it, it just happens. But a parent who truly loves the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, with all that is within them, it will be natural for their children to do the same. When parents learn to sing worship in their home and learn to sing praise in their home, their kids will learn the words. And when we begin to pray in our house, when kids see us pray, when kids hear us pray, when kids join us in prayer, we will see and raise up kids who know to pray, kids who it's natural for them to pray. Look, family religion, please hear me. Family religion, and religion is not a bad word. It's just been taken out of biblical context and therefore has become a bad thing. But biblical religion is better caught than taught. So what is this next generation catching from us? And men, I'm going to lay it out there. Men, you bear a huge responsibility in this. And again, I want to speak today to those of you who are dads, to those of you who are husbands, to those of you who are grandfathers, to those of you who are great-grandfathers, to those of you that are great-great-great-grandfathers, to those of you who are uncles, to those of you who have have people that are around you, to those of you that are young men, to those of you that are older men, to those of you that are married men, to those of you that are single men, to those of you that are in high school, to those of you who are in college, I am talking to every single one one of you men. Men, it starts with you. That was a very, very sad amen. And it came mostly from the women. Hey, for too many years, we have absolutely delegated the spiritual leadership to women. We've done it in the home and we've done it in the church. While we went out into the world to make a living. And what we did was we laid a burden on women that God never intended for them to bear alone. Get to bear alone. God didn't intend us as men to bear that burden alone either. It was meant to be something that we would do in in the context of doing it together. God meant for spiritual leadership to be a shared burden. But men, God is going to hold you responsible for how you take the initiative of making sure that your home is led in a spiritual way. God will hold you to that and you will find the product of it because God wants your home. That is a a home that has been put into godly order and God blesses that. Again, I'm not talking about being domineering and all of that. We need each other. Desperately need each other. Recently, I I was looking at some pictures, and I I happened across this picture, and I thought, oh, I want to share this because it really fits the point. It's a Norman Rockwell painting. I'd heard about it years ago, and so I looked it up, and and it was in 1959. It was on the, that, that picture there was on the Saturday Evening Post in 1959. And it shows the oldest daughter, you know, by, and then mom, and then the, the younger daughter, all dressed in their, you know, Sunday best, uh, headed off to church, and then little Junior here, he's following along, and um, you can almost sense a little bit of reluctance in little Junior. Well, why? 
What's the problem? The problem is this typical picture of dear old dad sitting slouched down in his pajamas, reading the paper, smoking a cigarette, while the rest of the family went off to church. And little Junior is looking at dad. And yeah, he's going off to church. But he wants to be with his dad. He wants to do what daddy did. Church, men, when will we learn? We need to learn. Our actions speak so much louder than our words. My mom and dad told all of us kids, seven of us, not to smoke. It was bad. I got spanked if I even touched the cigarettes. <laughs> Yet, they sat there and pulled out them big old Pall Mall gold 120s. <laughs> the ones you could light from the other room. <laughs> and every one of us seven kids, at some point after we left the home, all of us smoked. We all had to struggle with the addiction of smoking because our actions speak louder than our words. Amen. Amen. Third decision we need to make is to become a student of obedience. Are we obedient? Verse 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That word serve is used in various forms seven different times in just verses 14 and 15. Seven times. It's obvious that there's a burden on Joshua's heart in this that we would learn to willingly, that the people would learn to willingly choose to serve the Lord. Church, it needs to be willingly chose. I'm not here talking you into anything today. I am here today, and I'll share this with you, just presenting some choices that God has given to us. But what he's talking about here in this choice, he says, he says that we're called to willingly choose. He says, serve the Lord. How? In sincerity and faithfulness. One, one version says, in all faithfulness. That means that every area of our life. It doesn't mean we get to have, you know, church life and home life and work life and all of them are separate worlds that never touch each other. It means that everything comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That everything is surrendered. That all faithfulness is there. And because of that, I have given up every hidden closet I have. I am opening every door to every room in my life and God has free access in all of it because He is the Lord of my darkened rooms. He is the Lord of my dirty things. He is the Lord of my bad thoughts. He is the Lord of all of those things and I give those to Him and I put those in His place and I am in submission to Him. I give it all up to you and I am turning away from the false gods of the, that the pagans worship. We need to do that in all faithfulness. I, I was reading Matthew Henry. He calls these false gods, he calls them dunghill deities. <laughs> dunghill deities. And he calls them that because those dunghill deities have absolutely no power to save you. All they have the power to do is corrupt you and make you stink. Amen. They are dunghill deities. Church, get rid of your dunghill deities. 
Get rid of the false gods. Get rid of those things. I, I was reading some testimonies of different prisoners, and I, this one kind of stood out to me, and I just want to share it with you real quick. He wrote this. He said, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I used to have all sorts of magazines like Penthouse, Easy Rider, American Rodder, Playboy, and Hot Rod. But today, as I look around, none of those exist. Only Bibles and good reading. I enjoy spending time reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many times in my life I tried to get what I saw others got from the Bible, but I never did. But one of my brothers here told me to just pray for understanding. And just like that, reading became joyful. My Lord has changed my life. I never could have. I praise God for saving my life by sending me to a place where he could slow me down and take me from Satan. Thank you, Jesus. That, church, is a genuine conversion. A genuine conversion of a man who came to Jesus Christ. Because what did he do? He got rid of the gods beyond the river and in Egypt. He got rid of the dunghill deities. Out with the, I mean, the old dung went with the old life. And with that new life came the Bible, came new reading, came new literature, came new presence of God in his life. He replaced all of that. And that is a sign of the genuine work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Get rid of those dunghill deities. That is a sign in our lives that we have become a student of obedience. Decision number four, remember your spiritual heritage. Church, in verse 15, he says this, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now again, at reading that, I, at first, that, that was like one of those Man, I don't get that, God. What do you mean in, in this, if, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve? No, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to do everything we can to get people to say the sinner's prayer. And I realized that what God was doing here is God, again, in absolute biblical genius, God is appealing to the democratic sense of man. And he gives us choices. And he gave us a free will. And so it makes sense that therefore God would then give us choices. And he gives them a number of choices. One choice is to choose the true God. The one true God. And you have that opportunity today to choose the one true God. But he also says, and then he gives them this other choice. The God beyond the river. The gods on the other side of the river, meaning the other side of the Euphrates, which refers to the, the gods of the Ur of the Chaldeans. It, it refers to these ancient gods. I mean, all the way back to the very beginning, before the Jews were even there. These are gods of ancient tradition, the gods of the, the moon god and the sun god. He also talks about the, the gods of Egypt meaning the, the gods of the place that I delivered you out of. Going back to those gods, the, the god of the sun, rain, uh, darkness, natural disaster, and, and so much more. But he's talking about the gods that I delivered you out of. If, if you want to, you go back to those gods. And he talked about the gods of the Amorites. The gods of the Amorites were the god of the fertility and sexual pleasure. And if you want to serve that god, he says... Go for it. But church, I want you to know, you cannot force people to serve God. I can't force you to serve God. 
I, I have tried and tried and tried in so many different ways, and it doesn't work. I can't force you to serve God, but I can say this. Make your choice. Make your decision. If you don't want to choose the living God, if you don't want to choose Jesus Christ, then go back to the false gods that you prefer. Go back to the false gods that you used to worship. Go back to the God of pleasure, the God of sexual pleasure. The God that, go back to Ur all the way to the beginning if you want. But you choose. Some people prefer the gods of this world. Some people prefer the gods of this world to the God that can save us. And don't fool yourself. Just being in church doesn't mean you're literally worshiping God. Don't fool yourself. There are some people that are so blinded to their own pleasure, so blinded to their own selfishness, so blinded to their own self-serving ways, so blinded by sin that they are only willing to give their, their heart over to what would be a fleshly indulgence. And they would rather drink from the, the sewer, the dunghill deities of sin, than to actually drink of the water of life. But that's your choice. And that's the, the biblical, that's the biblical kind of religion and the genius that God brings is that you and I, we don't need to coerce people into serving God. We don't need to coerce people into serving the Lord. And if they prefer some other way, and I will, I'll say it like this, if they prefer some other way, so be it. I can't force you. All I can do is love you and care about you. And I can want the very best, but I'm not going to force you. I think it's one of the greatest mistakes that we can make evangelistically. I think it's a huge mistake to push people too hard when we're attempting to win people to Christ. Again, Matthew Henry said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You know, we have nothing to fear in that. And everything to gain. All we do is present these options. And that's what God's called us to do. Give people the right to make up their own minds. Decision number five, choose daily, church, whom you will serve. This is not about serving God on Sunday and then running our race wherever we want the rest of the week. It's not about just coming to church and feeling like I, I get, you know what, I, I go to church to get a full tank of gas and then go drive anywhere I want to go. Do whatever I want to do during the week. That, that's not you. We need to choose daily to serve the Lord. Amen. And if you're not serving, if we're not choosing to serve daily, yet trying to convince our kids we are, they see the hypocrisy of that. He says this in verse 15 in the second half, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One of the most famous statements in all of Scripture and one of the most powerful because it expresses the heart of this man, Joshua, who is about ready to die. And a man's dying words are always going to be the most important words in his life. And these words that he declares are simply here to help us find the will of God. And he boldly declares that. We are called to serve the Lord. Church, you are called to serve the Lord. And we are called then to do everything in our power to make sure that our family follows in our example. Amen. That means there's got to be some serious godliness going on. Some serious godliness. 
That's what God's expecting from you. That's what he wants after what he's done for us. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's looking for serious godliness. That's what he wants. You, you listen, church, it's because you will not, you, it's a myth to think you're going to serve the Lord by accident. You won't serve the Lord by accident. You're not going to serve the Lord in any other way than by choice and sacrifice. You have to make that choice daily, and you have to be willing to sacrifice daily. Oh, wait, Jesus was my sacrifice. Yeah, he sacrificed for you to give you what you don't deserve, and now he's calling you to sacrifice so the generations coming after you can receive what they don't deserve. We got to do, if we're going to do what he says we're to do, we got to do it. And if we're going to say what he's called us to say, then we have to say it. And it's going to require serious godliness in all of our parts. Because church, we are in a pivotal time. And I know that every generation has thought they were in a pivotal time. But we are at a place right now where we're looking at the possibilities of some things that, I mean, could be world-changing, life-changing. And it's time right now that we see this new call to renewal in the body of Christ. A call to men and women that we would take up arms that the Lord has called us. And we would see a generation of Joshua's that would rise up and say, Lord, here I am. A generation of Joshua's that would stop backing down to the ways of the world and the gods of this world that are trying to, uh, uh, to invoke all sorts of ungodly doctrine. It's time that we see Joshua's rise up. And that means a couple of things. There are some implications in that. And I want to be honest with you because you're going to have to choose. No, I'm not going to make you stand up to choose, but you're going to have to still make a choice. And that means, well, number one, the implication in that statement is that each of us must personally decide to serve the Lord. You have to personally decide to serve the Lord. It is not enough that your wife has decided to serve the Lord. It is not enough that your husband has decided to serve the Lord. It's not enough that your parents drug you to church. You have to choose for you. I cannot choose for you. I can't choose for your children. I can't choose for you. And church, you can't choose for me. We can't make those choices. But we need a generation of Joshua's that will rise up and make a personal choice for themselves. A choice to say, I will serve the Lord. Where are the Joshua's? Second, Parents have an obligation, a special obligation to set the right example in your home. Church, you cannot expect your children to serve the Lord if you have a half-hearted heart towards him. You know, it's like this. You know, again, and you're here, so praise God. But you cannot expect your kids to want to come to church on Sunday if you're not going to church on Sunday. You can't expect your kids to want to go to church or continue to want to go to church on Wednesday if they see you dropping them off and you're not even going to Bible study. Church, man, if we want our kids to serve the Lord, they need to see us serving the Lord. And dads, you have the highest obligation in that. Listen, we've all heard people say, I, you've, I've, you know, one of my sons is adopted, or my son is adopted, and I've heard people say, boy, he is just like you. He speaks, he talks, he does things just like you. 
We've probably, every one of us, if you have a child, you've heard that, right? So dads, if it's true that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, what kind of tree are you? You better, you better make sure that you are a healthy tree. Otherwise, what is that fruit going to look like? And let me add this, because I, I was thinking about this, and, and we spend a lot of time with our grandkids. Grandparents play a bigger role in it than I ever thought before. Grandparents, a few years back, Sam and Luke are always over at our house. Trevor, he says that Luke was out helping him with the yard. Now, they send their kids outside, and their kids, they're like in trouble. They get, they get in trouble at the house, and, and when they get in trouble, they get sent out to play. And after about two minutes of being outside playing, they come to our house. <laughs> and they come to our house for one of two reasons. One is they're, they got in trouble, or two, they're hungry. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I love it when they come over. And they come over and spend quite a bit of time with us. Well, one day, Luke, Luke is just like, you know, if you don't look no, Luke. Luke, Luke is a, a bundle of energy. And him and Sam were over one day. Sam can sit quietly and play. Luke can't. It's not physically possible. And he, and he was four years old, and he was, and he still is, he, a, 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 just a, a fireball. I mean, we call him, lovingly, Hurricane Luke. Because when Luke comes into the room, everything changes. <laughs> And everything changes. I mean, it's just like he comes in and he's just going, going, going. He's always been that way. And he's always been this bundle of energy. He wakes up in the morning and he's just got all these things that are going on. And Luke is one of those kids that he wants to share it with you. He does not want to go do it alone. He wants you with him all the time. And he wants to do whatever you are doing. And then he wants to bring his Hurricane Luke into it all. So if you're going to do something with Luke, you've got to know it's going to take you longer and you're going to have to go through the aggravation of having to clean up. <laughs> he came over yesterday and was give, just giving the dog treats, which, good, no big deal, trying to get the dog to sit. And then, okay, let's put the treats away. And he picks up this giant bucket of treats and poosh. <laughs> the dog treats just go everywhere out on the deck where the planks are exactly the width of a dog tree. <laughs> so I had to go through it and pick dog treats out of the planks in the deck. So, so Luke is with Joni. They're out there and they're playing one day and Luke was younger and they're playing and they're moving stuff around. They're always moving furniture and doing stuff like that. And so I, I hear Joni, I don't even know what they're doing. I hear Joni saying, no, no, Luke, Luke, it's too heavy, buddy. It's too heavy. Let me help you. And without even a, a hesitation, Luke says, no, Papa told me I was strong. <laughs> and, and again, that's not even the best part of the story. The best part of the story is that I don't even remember telling him that. But I did because he remembered it. And I had an influence in his life without even knowing it. So grandpas, grandmas, invest heavily in your grandchildren. You have more influence than you know. This is a time, church, a time to choose. 
And, and I'll, I'll start to wrap this up. I, I, this is a time to choose. We have got to make a decision to choose the Lord. And in this, I am struck by Joshua's boldness. Joshua stood up and said this, and he declared this whole thing. You know, what was different about Joshua and us? Basically, nothing. He was a man just like us. He was a human being with thoughts and feelings and fears just like us. And he stands up in the midst of it all. And Joshua's boldness causes him to make a public declaration. He makes this public statement. He says, but as for me, all these things, all these gods, all this stuff, but as for me. He stands up and says, I don't care what the rest of you choose. I choose the Lord. I choose to follow God. I don't care what you guys choose to do, but I will serve the Lord. And this guy was the leader of a nation. He was standing in this place where he was possibly part with his own people over this stand of godliness. Church, are we willing to make a public declaration and willing to part from those things and people that are around us? A willingness to part because of godliness. Are we willing to see that over just basic issue? Because sooner or later, as a Christian, all of us are going to have to say that. I don't care whether you're a, a truck driver or whether you're a teacher or whether you're a student or whether you're a, a construction worker. I, I don't care where it is you are, whether it's with your, dealing with your family, dealing with your friends, dealing with work people, dealing with neighbors. If you follow Christ, there will come a time when you must say, you go do what you want. You go do what you choose to do. And whatever you choose to do, I will love you, but I'm not going to join you in that. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He also declared this in a personal way. This was a personal decision. But as for me, look at church, choosing the Lord does not happen by accident. You're not going to accident yourself into the kingdom of God. Okay? In the end, it comes down to this. You must choose God. You must choose to serve the Lord. It won't happen by accident. It won't, listen, it won't happen because you inherited it from your parents. Okay? There's nobody in this world that's born, born again. Okay? Just, let this, just get that myth out there. Nobody is born, born again. Everybody that's born into this world must choose Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is a personal decision. He is the only way to heaven. And either that is true or he is a liar. But I have this feeling that if he was a liar, we would not be sitting here, standing here, 2,000 and plus years later talking about him. He's never lied about any of it. Your parents, as parents, we can, we can teach our kids and we can give them the tools, but at some point, every single one of you and every single one of our kids, everybody must make it their own decision. It must be personal. You have to make a personal decision. I can't, I can't float on my wife's decision. I have to make my own. Also, it was a pervasive or persuasive declaration. He says, but as for me and my house, I think this is amazing. Joshua speaks as the appointed leader of his family and he claims to speak for his wife. He speaks for his children. He speaks for his grandchildren. At his age, he was probably speaking for his great-great-grandchildren, even the servants that were in his home. As the leader of this clan, he's saying, I hold the proxy in my hand and I declare that my entire household will serve the true and living God. 
Every Christian man at some point over and over again, but at some point needs to begin to make this stand of faith and to make that declaration over our households. No, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and I will bless the Lord with all that he has given me. And it's a positive thing that he says. He says we will serve the Lord. He doesn't say "Mm, we might serve the Lord. No, it's a positive statement. And it's more than just saying I'm going to forsake God's. He is saying that my family, we're going to center ourselves. Because I'm the leader of this family. I'm the head of my household. And therefore, we are going to center ourselves on worshiping God. Worshiping the God of Israel. As for me and my house, it's going to center on worshiping God. And his law will be their law. His commands will be their delight. His worship will be their highest goal. His glory will be what they aim for in everything that they do. Joshua taught his family and he took the time to stop and to teach his family. He took the spiritual responsibility for his household and he taught them well. He didn't say, my house without me, like the Norman Rockwell picture. He didn't say, me without my household, like many Christian ministers have done and left their home in shambles while they went out to minister to millions. No, it's both together. We come together to do what God has called us to do. We are joined together the way God intended. I will serve the Lord and my family will join me in this pledge. Guys, we got to stand up and do that. Well, how can he be so certain? It's because he took the time to spend the time with his family, teaching them, training them, and understanding, hearing them, knowing where their heart was. He made a decision because he knew the heart of his children. He knew the heart of his grandchildren. He knew the heart of his servants. And because of that, he could boldly say, we will serve the Lord means they spent a lot of dinner times together and a lot of family nights together. I think Joshua did lead the way Wednesday. Because church, listen, I, I don't want to be, I, I, I'll, I'll finish talking about this, but let me say, I don't, don't plan on coming to the end of your life and right before you die, saying a quick prayer. Oh, God, save my family. Oh, yes, does God do that? And does God move in grace for that? Yes. But to make that your plan is to be presumptuous of the grace of God. Is that God's plan? No. No, God's plan is that each and every day you would live what you believe. You would follow the one that you love. Because church, everybody, you gotta serve somebody. You're serving someone. Everybody is. There's no serving anybody. Yes, you are. If nothing else, you're serving yourself. Listen, can I guarantee that my children, that my grandchildren will follow in the steps and serve the Lord that I worship? Can I guarantee that? No. I can't. God has given them a free will. He's given them choices to make. And he's given them ability to make those choices. We've all seen those sad stories of Christian families, good, solid Christian families where the kids go off and they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't want to serve Jesus. They don't want anything to do with that. We've all seen that. So, so what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that godly parents living this godly life have the ability to tip the scales 
towards godly living and the choice that they'll make. You have, we have the ability to make those scales tipped towards God. We can't guarantee what our children will do, but we can provide an atmosphere of serious godliness. And we combine that with a real heartfelt joy. As I said, grace and choice and teaching. And it all makes it easier for our kids to truly choose Christ over the ways of the world. And that's what we need. Serious godliness and a heartfelt joy. Worship team, come on back up, would you please? And give me just this minute. Is your mind made up? Have you made a choice? Are you ready to serve the Lord? Or will you serve the gods of this world? Do you know where you stand with God? Do you know what would happen? For one, do you know what would happen if you walked out these doors and died? Would you go to heaven or would you be bound for hell? You see, Jesus Christ is the only way out of that. He's the decision and choice that we have to make first. And then we make the decision on top of that. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to follow him. But you first have to make a choice. And the application, you're here today. God brought you here for a reason. And he put you in this place. And he gave you ears to hear today. And the application of this verse is absolutely, could not be any clearer. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Choose for yourself, but make a choice. Even Bob Dylan, the, the words to the song, Bob Dylan song says, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Look, don't be confused. Salvation is by grace and grace alone. That no man should boast. It's not by works. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do but receive him into your life and receive what he's done for you. There is nothing but grace. But at that moment of salvation, listen, when we're born into this world, we are born into life, a life that is, is, is headed for death. But when you are born again, we begin to walk a new life that's headed towards life. And that walk is our choice. We choose to follow the Lord. Church, listen, you can't stay lukewarm. It's time to get off the fence and get on one side or the other. I mean, choose to either go all in, I'm following God, or go all in with the gods of this world. But get off of the fence. That's the most dangerous place you can be. And it's the most dangerous place you can be for the generations to come. Get off the fence. There's no neutrality. There's no place for neutrality in the kingdom of God. Every person needs a God. Every person will survey God. Every person will choose a God. And today, listen, you need to serve the God you choose. You choose. Well, pastor, I'm not ready to choose yet. Yes, you are. You just did. Your choice not to choose is a choice. You made it. Because you, you can't choose to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
You cannot, you can't choose to follow Jesus Christ by default or by accident or by inheritance. Church, make your choice. Make your choice. Choose your God. I'm not trying to talk you into anything. I'm not. I'm trying to present the choices that are there. These are very real choices that every single one of us and every single person out there has to deal with. Make your choice. But I will tell you this. No matter what choice you make, I will love you. And I will care for you. And I will pray pray for you. But I'll I'll tell you publicly and I'll tell you proudly. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So where are the Joshua's? Where are the Joshua's today? Where are those who will stand up and say, no, I will lead my household. I will take accountability. I will stand in the gap. Where are the Joshua's today that are willing to stand up in the midst of a wicked generation and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, where are the Joshua's today? Are they here? And stand up and show him. God, in the name of Jesus, help us to declare the goodness of our God. Help us to remember the blessings of our God. Help us to remember the power and authority of our God. Help us to remember so that we could declare to the coming generations no matter what our circumstance or situation may be, to declare to the next generation the goodness of God and our willingness to say in the face of an evil generation, I will serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day in whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, help us to follow through. Fill us, Lord God, as we sing this, God. Give us the courage. Give us the courage. Come on, on, every voice, let's lift them up. Sing it out. And sing of your love forevermore. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. As for me. As for me and my house. Oh, come on, lift them up. Serve the Lord. Sing of your love forevermore. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's sing that. Sing it out loud. Sing it out proud. Make a declaration today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will sing of your love. Come on. 
together in that. I love you. God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Go be the church. Amen. Come on, let's sing this as we go. As for me and my house, we will serve.